Matthew began his gospel with a very carefully constructed genealogy, 42 selected names. And of those 42 selected names, he picked two to highlight. He began his gospel this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why did he select those two names out of the 42 carefully selected names and highlight them? Well, we talked a little bit last week about this same reality. And, and the name Abraham, uh, he, Jesus is the son of Abraham, is important to Matthew's gospel because Matthew wrote primarily to the Jews. Matthew's genealogy only goes back as far as Abraham. That's the beginning of Israel. Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Luke, being a Gentile, writing his gospel primarily to Greeks, included the whole of humanity. Matthew focused on what God was doing through the Jewish nation. And we saw last week that Jesus, as the son of Abraham, fulfilled that part of the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, and the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 and 17, where it said in all three of those places that through Abraham, through one of Abraham's descendants, all the world, all the nations of the earth, every tongue and language and tribe and people would be blessed. And we saw that that blessing, that universal blessing to all people came through Abraham's descendant, this Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And when we read these words, Messiah and Christ, it speaks of the anointed one, the special one. They're almost synonymous. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the long-promised one who is anointed by God, according to uh, Abraham's promise, to be the Savior of the world, the one who blesses all the world. Well, why David? What, what does David have to do with it? Well, following down from Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham was passed on to his son Isaac, who passed it on to his son Jacob, who passed it on to his 12 sons, who became the patriarchs, the fathers of the Jewish tribes, the 12 Jewish tribes. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebul, and Joseph, and Benjamin. And those 12 <laughs> sons... Well, gee, if I'd known that, I would have done it earlier. But anyway, <laughs> no, but those, those, those 12 sons. But in Genesis 49, we read that Abraham, uh, that, uh, uh, say, I forgot his name already. <laughs> Jacob blessed each of those sons, passed that blessing that he had received from Isaac, his father, who had received it from Abraham, his father, and he gave a special blessing to each. But to the son Judah, he said something very special, if I can find it, right here. He said to, to, uh, to uh, uh, Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. The scepter will not depart from Judah until he to whom it belongs shall come. Now, I don't think neither Jacob nor Judah fully understood what that was about. But the scepter speaks that a king will come from Judah. Because God had said in chapter 17, he had said to 
Abraham, from your descendants, many kings will come. And then in verse 16 of that same covenant chapter, he said to Sarah, from your generation, from your descendants, many kings will come. And then in Genesis 28, he said to Jacob, rehearsing the covenant again to Jacob, specifically giving it to Jacob. He said to Jacob, from your descendants, many kings will come. And those kings, according to Jacob's blessing on Judah, as God was speaking through Jacob, that king, those kings, would primarily come through the tribe of Judah. And then over the years, between Judah and David, there was no king in the tribe of Judah. For all those years, 850 years, after God, through Jacob, told Judah that a king would specifically come from his tribe, God made a covenant with David, who was from the tribe of Judah, and said to David, you, you will be the father of a great king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords will come from your lineage. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you have a Bible or if you can find one in the pew in front of you, I certainly encourage you to, to follow along because this, this you see the, 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 the blessing to Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, then specifically through Judah, and now 850 years, this, this promise is being resurrected of a king, of a king, a special king. And, and, and uh, so it, it, uh, the setting for this message that God gave to David, that he would be the father of a great king, came shortly after David became the king of Israel. The greatest king Israel ever had was King David, even greater than his son Solomon. This great man, David, had a special relationship with God. God uh, and David synced in a way that's very unusual. You read his psalms, and you see the, the outpouring of worship and love and faith and gratitude. David had a special, special heart for God. And so for that reason, or for other reasons which we really don't comprehend, God selected David of all humanity and, and gave him this special uh, promise and, and so David said, because of how God loves me and how God has treated me and how God has brought me from the shepherd, from the sheep pens and has made me king of Israel, I want to do something special for God. So after he'd built his own house in 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says David built a house and chapter 6 he moved the Ark of the Covenant, which in Israel uh, represented God's presence. He moved that into uh, into Jerusalem, into the city where he was reigning, to make sure everybody understood that, 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 that I, I, I'm the king, but God is the real king. It's still a theocracy. God is our king. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a nagid, a prince. It's a strange word, but I am a, sort of the prime minister. But I just want you to understand 
Don't think of me as your primary king. It is still God. And then in chapter 7, he, came, he said to, uh, to Nathan the prophet, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of embarrassed. <laughs> I just built this nice house for me, and I live in a house made of cedar and cement and that kind of stuff, and it's good. But God still lives in a tent. I mean, I'm living here in a house. God's sort of camping out over there, and, and I want to build him a house. And Nathan said, good idea. Do that. Well, that night, God came to Nathan and said, no, 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 no. David is not the one to build a house for me. His son will build a house for me. But I'm going to build a house for David. David won't build me a house. I will build him a house. It's the same word, house, bait. But when he was talking about the house that David wanted to build, he was talking about a structure. When God said the house I want to build for you, David, is not a structure. It's a dynasty. It's a dynasty. And then he t talked about how God, God told David, reminded David through Nathan the prophet, how he had brought him out of obscurity and, and had protected him all those years when Saul was trying to kill him and he was hiding in the wilderness for 10 years, fighting for his life, hiding, running for his life. And then God said, after Saul died, David, you're the one. You're the new king. And David, you're now on the throne. I brought, I did that for you. I have been directing your life. And in fact, your whole nation. I chose them. I chose them. They are my people, my special people. In the first uh, 11 verses of 2 Samuel 7, in this dialogue between Nathan and God, and, or trialogue, I guess, and, 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 and David, Nathan, David, and God, God is rehearsing the history. And then he zeroed in. Chapter 11, this, uh, verse 11 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares the, to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him, but my love will never be taken away from him. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And David responded, and this chapter is divided into two sections. First is God's message to David, and then 11 through 27 is David's response to God. And in Hebrew, they are almost exactly the same length, one word longer. David's response is one word longer than God's. So this is a beautifully constructed, poetic kind of a chapter, a very crucially important chapter. And David's response was long. I'm just going to read you the end of David's response. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. 
Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So David said, I got the message. And ten times in this response that David gave in the second part of that chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, he called himself your servant. And seven times he referred to God as sovereign Lord. Yahweh Adonai. Almighty, supreme God. You are the one who has made this promise to me. Now this section of 2 Samuel 7, this Davidic covenant, this covenant that God made with David that followed out of and, and narrowed the focus of the covenant he had made all those years, over 800 years before, to Abraham. A covenant about a king, about David's house. Walter Brueggemann, a, an Old Testament scholar, calls this passage the most crucial theological statement in the Old Testament. This covenant the Lord established with David became, <clears throat> became the nucleus around which the message of hope, or the messages of hope proclaimed by Hebrew prophets were built. So all the messianic hope during the dark, dark days of Israel's history, when they had wondered if God had abandoned them, the prophets came and they reminded them of this statement that God had made with their King David. Ronald Youngblood, another Old Testament scholar, sees this passage as the center and focus of Old Testament history itself. R.D. Bergen, in his commentary on Samuel, says, The Lord's words recorded here play the single most significant role of any scripture found in the Old Testament in shaping the Christian understanding of Jesus. The divine declarations proclaimed here through the prophet Nathan are foundational for crucial New Testament teachings about Jesus. Sort of makes you want to go back and take another look at that, doesn't it? What was this Davidic covenant? Why would Matthew, of all of those 42 names, along with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, select David? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David. Because when David wanted to build a house for God, God said, no, you're not going to build me a house. But the Lord declares to you, Nathan said, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And that word that's translated established means to form, to fashion, to create a house, a dynasty. Now, it's the same word, house, house, by it, by it, but you see the different meanings. David wanted to build a structure, a building. God said, I'm going to build a dynasty. David, you will always have on the throne of Israel a king. 
I will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. This is echoes of Genesis 13, where God said to Abraham, I will raise up your offspring, your seed, to su succeed you. And David, this seed that I'm talking about will be your own flesh and blood. It will come out of your own body. It's a seed that you will plant, and that seed will grow. And God said that to Abraham in Genesis 15, 4. Your own flesh and blood, your own body will produce this seed. And, and then the message from God switched from third person to second person. Pardon me, from second person to third person. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So he switched from talking to David about David to talking David about a son. But it's a strange kind of a thing because he's really talking about two different sons here, as we shall see. I will establish his kingdom. And that word establish here is a different word than the word in verse 11, established. This means I will strengthen, I will stabilize, I will make it permanent, this kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And we know that Solomon was the one who built God's temple over 20 years. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, that really, Solomon, is that, how, how does that work? But then it... And he says, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. Next week, we're going to focus on that. Jesus, last week, Jesus, the son of Abraham. Today, Jesus, the son of David. Next week, Jesus, the son of God. And it's this statement right here. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So far, all is good. Because this could refer to Jesus or to Solomon. But then suddenly, it can't refer to Jesus, because he said, when he does wrong, I will punish him. But my love will never be taken away from him. Well, when will Jesus, the sinless son of God, do something wrong and need to be punished? You say, that can't refer to Jesus. It can only refer to Solomon and David's other descendant kings. This is what's called, and it's frequent in the Old Testament, a near and far prophecy. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 1, after the angel's explanation to Joseph that his betrothed was pregnant, to explain, Matthew tells us, all this took place, this virgin thing, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You're familiar with that from the Christmas stories. We go back to Isaiah chapter 7, where this prophecy was actually proclaimed, and we see that it referred to an immediate situation. King Ahaz was afraid because two other kings, the king in Israel and the king in Damascus, Aram, were going to invade Jerusalem. 
And he came and asked Isaiah the prophet, I need a sign. I, I, I'm scared. And Isaiah said, I will give you, or God has given me a sign to give to you. And here's the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and, the ch and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So in that context, Isaiah was saying, I am about to get married. And the one I'm going to marry is a virgin. And we will have a child. And before that child is old enough to discern good and evil, these two kings who are threatening you will be gone. So don't worry about it. So that idea, that statement of a virgin, a girl who is now a virgin, will no longer be a virgin because I will impregnate her, and before our son is old enough to discern good and evil, these two kings you're afraid of will be gone. So that was an immediate, an immediate uh, fulfillment of that prophecy. Is that making sense? You tracking with that? But then God, when it, talking to Joseph all those years later, said, I'm going to pull that thing out of my repertoire. I got that in the bank, and I'm going to use that one on Joseph. So not only when Isaiah said it, I doubt that he had any concept that this statement he was making under God's inspiration was going to go all those years later, 800 years later. And God would use it again as a long-term prophecy. And that's the same thing that's going on here. It's this near-term prophecy. He's talking about about Solomon, but the long-term prophecy is about another king, another king who would come. Listen to this again. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And while that sort of relates to Solomon, but not any more than it did any other of those kings. This is a special statement about someone that is beyond Solomon. And that's something that refers only to Solomon and other human kings. Where he does wrong, I will punish him, but my love will never be taken away from him. And then he goes back again to the second person. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And for the next 385 years, 23 Davidic kings came and went. From Solomon to Zedekiah in 586, when Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, had eight different dynasties, different families who took over the throne over the years. David never had a coup. David's line in response to this promise, God made sure that David's throne would be established forever. And then from 586 till Jesus, there was no king. And the next king on the scene was this baby born in a manger. This Jesus. This one we celebrate. This one we sing about. This one we love and worship.
The Psalms. I'm going to read some passages to you from Psalms and prophets. I'm not going to comment on a lot of them, but I just want you to hear how the Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures speak about this Son of David, this Messiah, this Anointed One, this Christ, this one through all the dark times and, and discouraging periods of the Jewish nation right up till today. The faithful Jew still longs for the coming of this Son of David, this anointed one of God, this Christ, this Messiah, this hope that breathes life into Judaism and into Christianity. Presented to us through David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Asaph, the psalmist, wrote these words. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Another one from Asaph. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. Anointed him, Messiah, Christ, I have anointed him. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. You see the echoes of the Davidic covenant right there in that psalm? Over and over again, repeating the words from that, from that covenant that God made with Abraham, uh, with David. And then we come to the prophets, Isaiah chapter 9. A child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness. From now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal of Almighty God will accomplish this. Isaiah 11, a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And you can see why the hope for this king, this Messiah to come, of all the corrupt, greedy, self-serving kings, this king, this one who will come, the stump of Jesse, the root of David, the branch of David, the fulfiller of the Davidic covenant, righteousness will be a belt around his loins, faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The kingdom to establish and stain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And in Jeremiah 30, in the day of the Lord declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off the necks of Jerusalem and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ezekiel 34, I will appoint over them a single shepherd, my servant David. I, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince, and a guide among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. 
In that day, in that day, this descendant of David, this fulfiller of the Davidic covenant, will rule the earth with peace and righteousness and justice and love. And then we come to the New Covenant, the New Testament. It begins this way, the opening words. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. And then we read in Luke chapter 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then in Luke 2, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is in Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. And there were shepherds in the fields nearby watching over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and said to them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. An irony of ironies. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, Lying in a manger? This son of David? This long-awaited Messiah? This anointed Christ is born in a barn? Yeah. Yeah. Though being in the form of God, he did not think equality with God something he had to grasp. But he emptied himself, becoming a human. Being made in human likeness. and died on the cross to redeem the world. Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we come to the book of Revelation, the culmination of the ages, to the church in Philadelphia, chapter 3. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And then Revelation chapter 5, the heaven was searching for somebody who could open the scroll, who could break the seals on the, on the scroll that would unfold the rest of history. And no one was found to, to, who was worthy to do that. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And they all fell down and worshipped this, this lamb. 
And finally, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, the closing out of history on earth. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty and the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. Come. The New Testament opened in Matthew 1 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and closes with an invitation from the root and offspring of David, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the invitation is come. Come. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Because I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And just as truly as I am the Son of Abraham, who offers you salvation, I am also the Son of David, the Lord, your King your ruler. So just as important as it is to say, I am saved by grace as a son of Abraham through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. I follow my Lord, my King, the son of David, because he is my King. Come to him for salvation. Come to him to find direction for life. Follow him as your Savior. Follow him as your Lord. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Let's.